Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Boy, that was such a joy to hear the kids sing these songs. We thank you for uh, so many who came today. We thank you for the 34 that we ministered to during this week. We thank you for their families. We thank you for the, their parents who, who faithfully brought them uh, each day of the week uh, to, to hear more about you uh, and to have fun. I thank you again for all the volunteers uh, who uh, helped lead that week and took care of every little detail that needed to happen so that this week could happen. Without them, it wouldn't have happened. But Lord, ultimately, you are the one who oversaw everything, who, who led everybody to come, who uh, worked in hearts, who gave strength where needed. And so, Lord, you receive all the glory. You deserve all the glory. And now, Lord, I pray that you would be with me, that I would only say what you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less, that your word would go forth and our lives would be changed. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1622, a fleet of Spanish ships carrying untold amounts of copper, silver, gold, tobacco, gems, and jewelry found themselves caught in a hurricane off the coast of Florida and sank to the depths around the Florida Keys. The Spanish tried as hard as they could to retrieve this treasure, but was, they were never able to. Those shipwrecks and that treasure lay at the bottom of the ocean, untouched and whereabouts unknown for 363 years. In 1985, a treasure hunter named Mel Fisher, after years of searching, finally found the mother load of treasure, the wreck of the Nuestra Senora de Atosha, or Our Lady of Atosha. The wreck yielded 40 tons, 40 tons of priceless artifacts, including gold and silver, emeralds and silver bars, and the famed pieces of eight. You've heard that term before. In fact, by 2014, Fisher's team had discovered treasure amounting to over $450 million. And get this, they're still excavating to this day. That's how vast this treasure was. In fact, here's what I got a huge kick out of. Fisher's family, to this day, still leads dive teams to the wreck. For a fee, you too can go down to the Atosha and bring up treasure up to a worth of $3,000. I went on their website, and sure enough, you can still do it, but they don't mention the cost of the fee readily. You, you have to contact them for more information. Something tells me it would not be cheap to cross that childhood dream item of find sunken treasure off your bucket list. For Mel Fisher, his efforts at searching for treasure finally gave him what he was looking for. But for many in this world, life's search for true meaning, fulfillment, and purpose never ends. And they never find what they've been searching for their whole life. Some believe that it's impossible to find it. The kids at VBS this week learned a lot about a man named Moses. Moses was a Jewish baby saved from an evil Egyptian king's edict of Hebrew infanticide and ironically raised in the Egyptian palace as an adopted child of Pharaoh's daughter. 
That evil king eventually died. And as you line up the biblical account of Exodus with world history, you can pretty easily discover that Moses' adoptive mother ends up co-ruling Egypt with Moses' adoptive brother. However, there's apparently bad blood between Moses' Egyptian family members, and when his adoptive mother dies around the time Moses is 40, his adoptive brother, who is now the sole king, is already bitter towards him because it was he who their mother pulled up out of the Nile River as a baby. Up to this point, all Moses knew in his life and about his life was life as an Egyptian prince. And that's how he thought the rest of his life was going to be. But Moses also knew he was an Israelite, whose brothers were enslaved people at the hands of the Egyptians. His mother was dead, his brother was out to get him, and his real people were enslaved. At that point in Moses' life, around age 40, Moses suddenly had no idea who he was what his life's purpose was anymore, or what the meaning of life in general was. It will take another 40 years of herding sheep before Moses will find out from God himself what his life's purpose would be. But he eventually was given it. This world has a lot of mirage and distracting meanings and purposes for what life is supposed to be all about. Just a few of these include getting out and seeing the world, grinding until you achieve all you can achieve, making as much money as which gives you a comfortable life, numbing numbing the painful parts with any number of substances, or a focus on family. But if everything was stripped away and you lost everything and everyone in your life, is there still a life's purpose? This question then begs a follow-up question. Is there an underlying purpose and meaning for your life that exists outside of you, which is not affected by anything in this world or what could happen to you, which then is the foundation for everything you are and you have in this life? Does that exist? Some of you may be thinking, man, it is too early for you to be asking these questions. I did not have anywhere near enough coffee this morning to be thinking about these things. But really, when you boil everything down, and I mean everything in this life, this is the underlying question we're all thinking. See, because most of us are chasing after things that give us peace of mind and shoring up us never having to deal with losing everything and everyone. In fact, that's the fear that most insurance companies use to drive business, right? But if we're brutally honest with ourselves, we have no control over life and what may happen. In connection with our opening story, a lot of people spend their entire lives searching for this treasure, but they never find it. So really, the most priceless treasure we can have in this life is the 100% confident answer to this question, and this question is this. What is the true meaning of life so that even if I lost everything and everyone I hold dear, I still have this underlying foundation of the true meaning of life, which will give me peace and assurance no matter what? What is the answer 
to that question. We're going to find this treasure in two verses, in a couple of Bible verses we're taking a look at today. So, if you brought your Bible with you, please turn to John chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. If you didn't, there should be one located in the pew in front of you. It's a black book. It says uh, Holy Bible or something like that on it. Uh, please look it up also, or you can look it up in your favorite Bible app. It's as you go through the New Testament, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or you can look it up in the table of contents. It's right the, at the beginning of your Bible. I want everybody to turn to John chapter 1 because I want us all to see this. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. If, if this is your first time in one of our services, we've been exploring one of the books in the New Testament of the Bible called the Gospel of John. You've probably heard of it before. It's the book where the famous Apostle John wrote that famous John 3.16, where that comes from. The writer of this book, one of Jesus' disciples and apostles, you guessed it, named John, wanted to lay the foundation that Jesus' deity flowed into everything else he said and did in the rest of his book. He first describes Jesus as the Word, or a term meant to describe him as the embodiment of the wisdom of God and the one who holds the entire universe together. He can do this because, as John says in the very first verse of his book, Jesus is God. He says that forthright in the very first verse. He wasn't just some first century dude rocking cool hair and killer sandals who spouted off good life advice and things that made you go, whoa. He was God the second person of the Trinity of God, three in one. But sadly, even though Jesus created the world, when he broke into it as the God-man, as a baby around 4 to 5 BC in Bethlehem of Judea, no one recognized him as God, as their creator and therefore as their authority. In fact, as verses 9 through 11 tell us, not one people group, nor the faith systems they've created, save one, and even they had missed the entire point of that faith, worshiped the one true God. Not one. You've heard this saying before, and maybe you believe it yourself, that all roads lead to heaven, and that all religions are basically the same. But first of all, if you actually sat down and looked hard at all of them, you would see that none of them agree with one another in basic beliefs. But yes, they all do have one thing in common, even Judaism without the recognition of Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, and that's this. It's all based on human merit. It's all based on human achievement. Every single religion or faith system is based on, how, on what or how much you can do to please or earn favor from a deity or earn your way into heaven. You might be thinking, well, wait a second, why are we talking about heaven now? I thought we were talking about the meaning of life. Well, the meaning of life now directly connects to what happens to you when we die. It's directly connected. Knowing what's at the end of it directly informs what's happening now. How we process through everything now and what now's meaning is. So this is what every single person has to get into their heads. And it's really very simple. Jesus is our creator, and he created humanity to have a full connection and full relationship with God in every way. But the very first two humans threw that away and wanted instead to be like God themselves. Does that sound familiar? 
to be like God themselves. Through that decision, sin, selfishness, and evil entered the world. And we have, as humans, have dealt with all the war, heartbreak, abuse, and human evil that came along with that for thousands of years. And if we're honest with ourselves, we continue that sin with every selfish or sinful decision we make on an everyday basis, no matter how small we think it is. That sin, no matter how small we think it is, separates us from God. And God is very clear about in his word that nothing, nothing, no matter how many prayers, no matter how many candles we light, no matter how many good deeds or good works we do, how much love we show to people, nothing will change the fact that we can never measure up to God's standard for what is good enough for heaven. Romans 3 tells us, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No matter how hard you try to overcome all the bad things you've done, no one does good, not a single one. Since not one of us is righteous in and of ourselves, no amount of good deeds is good enough. We can't outweigh anything. Not one of us, including the guy standing up here, is righteous and therefore good enough to get into heaven on our own, no matter how many good deeds we do. That's the underlying problem. Nothing we can do can make up for or cancel out our sin problem. And what's more than that is what our sin only ever leads to what we rightfully deserve for wanting to take our lives into our own hands with the decisions we make on a daily basis is for us to ultimately lose them. God's word tells us the payment for our sin is death. It says for the wages, the payment of sin is death. We all will have to pay the payment of physical death someday, but there's also the payment for our souls, our spiritual lives, and that's known as the second death in God's word. This payment, which we all deserve an honest standing before God, is an eternal banishment from everything God is. Love, peace, joy, himself, to a place of eternal physical and emotional torment, a place called hell. In and of ourselves, we have no hope of getting into heaven. There is no double standard where if you never killed anyone before or you were like never that bad of a person, you just automatically get into heaven. You know what that is? That's a lie straight from Satan. That a lot of people have been deceived into thinking that they already know everything they need to know about what life is all about. In short, it's impossible. It is impossible for any one of us to get into heaven or even earn our way into heaven on our own. And that's at the end of this life or what this life is eventually headed towards no matter how many anti-aging regiments we try. So if that's what's waiting for us at the end of this life, what does that mean about the life we live now? That there's ultimately no meaning that we can conjure up or that we can get from another loved one or anything that can be found in this world. This pandemic that we're just now starting to come out from has shaken a lot of people to the core. It's caused a lot of fear and it's caused a lot of people to ask the question, yeah, what is life really all about? Is there any meaning. So again, the meaning of life now is directly connected to the meaning of life when it's all over. It's all the same. This is where we come to our verses this morning. This is really what it is all about. So John chapter 1 verses 12 through 13. This is the good news. 
But as many as received him, Jesus, to them he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, if we can't do anything to earn anything, how do we have any hope? If we can't do it, if we can't earn it ourselves, what is our hope? Our only hope is what John says in verse 12, is by receiving it. That's all we can do, by, t- by taking it. It's impossible for us to add anything to the equation. All we can do is to receive something as a gift. It's God who's the one doing anything. All we can do is take his gift for ourselves. I mentioned Romans 6.23, the beginning, beginning part of that before. But here's what that second part of that that also affirms this is. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What does John mean when he talks about receiving Jesus? And what does Paul mean when he, when he says this? When he talks about the free gift of eternal life from God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, remember what I said when I said that it's impossible to avoid the death payment for our sin through anything we can do? It's impossible because it's our sin that earns us that death, both physical death and the second death of hell. And because God is perfectly just and he's a perfectly just judge, he can't just remove that penalty from any one of us or make any exception for for any one of us or else what would he no longer be? just. But just as God is perfectly holy and perfectly just, he is also perfectly loving. And that's where the good news comes in. So knowing that we had no hope to avoid, of avoiding the penalty for our sin, he decided to take it upon himself to make a way for us. So he came to earth, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, to pay that penalty for our sin as a substitute for us. God's word tells us that he paid both deaths as a substitute. He paid the payment of physical death as a perfect sacrifice in that he, as God, never sinned as a human. And he descended into hell to declare to Satan and all his powers of darkness, I won, you lost. On the third day, Jesus came back to life, defeating death, crushing the power of the kingdom of darkness, and lives again today to extend this gift of eternal life to each and every one of us. So how do we receive this gift? If I held up a million dollars right here, I shook it around right here, and I said the first one who ran up here and took it from me would get it, I'm pretty sure there'd be a bit of a stampede, right? You guys up front would be glad you were sitting up front today. You'd get here first. You know that you need it, and you would do anything to get it. But it wouldn't be yours until you took it from me. It's the same with this gift that God extends out to every one of us. You couldn't sit back in the pew and say, I don't need to physically go up there and take that million dollars for myself. I'm good on my own. I'll just get it just from sitting here in the pew. No, you have to come get it. You have to receive it. The gift would never be yours if you never take it for yourself. 
In the same way, we all have to come to a place in our lives where we realize and admit to God in prayer that we know we sin. We know our sin separates us from him. And we know it's impossible for us to make it any better on our own. We accept, we receive, we take for ourselves that Jesus took our place as a perfect sacrifice and a perfect substitute for us to pay for our sin and the fate of that sin on our behalf. We then tell God that we turn from that life based on sin and selfishness. Ask him for forgiveness from that and make Jesus the king over the rest of our lives, seeking to please him out of love for what he did for us. By us doing this, we come full circle to what Jesus originally created us for, to have a full connection and relationship with God. Jesus is the one who created our souls, according to John 1, 3-4. So when we make this decision and we accept this free gift from God, we're only simply giving back to him what was always his to begin with. There are not multiple ways to God in heaven. There is only one way, and that's through accepting, taking, receiving Jesus as the substitute for your sin. Instead of griping that, there is, that this is the only way, we have to be eternally grateful that God even made a way at all for us to be restored to him. When we do that, as John says in verse 12, God gives us the full rights of being his children. Every human is a child of God in so much as we're all his creation. But that's about as far as it goes if we never accept Jesus as the Savior from our sin and the King over our lives. But when we give our souls to Jesus, based on his sacrifice and resurrection on our behalf, God fully adopts us into his family. That gives us all the meaning we could ever need. Ultimately, we now have the 100% full assurance that we will enter heaven when we die. We no longer have to wonder we no longer have to worry. We no longer have to be concerned with if we've done enough or have been a good enough person. God's word tells us that when we accept this, this gift of salvation from Jesus, when God looks at us, he only sees Jesus' righteousness transferred over to us. And because of that, we will enter into eternity with him. Like I said, at the end of, like I said, at the end of this life, that that end is directly connected to the meaning of life now. John says we're given the full rights of being children of God when we repent of our sin and take Jesus as the salvation from that sin. Our eternity is sealed from that moment forward. We go to heaven. That's it. What does these full rights as God's children now mean for our earthly lives now? Well, exactly as John says in verse 13, we're given a new beginning. We're given a new birth. We're given our first beginning, our first birth, when we were conceived by our parents and born by our mothers. That beginning, though, was in sin. And if left without ever coming to that place in our life where we accept God's gift of eternal life for ourselves through what Jesus did for us, that will end in the second death or hell. But there's a new birth a new beginning 
when we do come to God in repentance and acceptance of Jesus as our salvation. There's something incredible and powerful and spiritual that happens to us at that moment. God's word tells us that at that moment that we take God's free gift of salvation for ourselves, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, literally comes and indwells us. He makes a home within each and every one of us who have accepted Jesus' gift of salvation and is himself the seal and proof that we will end up in heaven. But what the Holy Spirit also does is he goes to work on our hearts and on our minds and on our entire lives to change the way we see everything, the entire way we process through everything, the entire way we think about everything and make our lives more and more like the perfection of Jesus. He's the one who starts freeing us from the power of sin in our lives to help us overcome temptation, to stay away from things that cause us to sin, and to free us from the chains that addictions and the powers of darkness have over us. We can help provide the Holy Spirit an environment to change us more powerfully by doing what we can to avoid temptation and stop doing things we know are against God's standards for us in his word. The Apostle Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. He says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. It has nothing to do with, with anything else. It's, it's giving all of ourselves to God. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit starts to change the whole way we look at this life and this world. See, the whole way that this world operates and the people of this world think is completely different from the way God wants us to think and God wants us to see everything. The Apostle Paul also talks about this in Romans. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. With the 100% full assurance of heaven awaiting us, the grip this world has on us starts to loosen with each and every passing day. We no longer invest in this world. We no longer are fearful about what happens in this world or even fear what happens to us. The Holy Spirit transforms us inwardly to see everything the way that God wants us to see them. In short, his will for our lives, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. Again, as John says in verse 12 of this morning's verses, when we come to that place in our lives, when we surrender ourselves, our sin, and our lives to God, only because Jesus took our place for our sin, we're given the full rights as God's children. So what does that give us? It gives us God as our Heavenly Father, and it gives us all of His promises. We may or may not have had good earthly fathers, but think of all who of all a, a good earthly father is to his children. He provides for his children. He listens to his children. He instructs his children as to what right and wrong is and how to make the right decisions. And he comforts his children when they're in pain or they're bullied or they're misunderstood or just having a bad day. The biggest difference with God as our heavenly father is that he does all of these things but perfectly and so much more. 
In our darkest times, he's never left us and is always teaching us through all of our difficulties and brings us the peace that only he can give. He sometimes reveals the reasons why he allows certain difficulties and heartbreak into our lives. And sometimes he doesn't until we get to heaven. But what he always does is reveal that we can trust him with every season in our lives. And as our Heavenly Father, Jesus says that God will always, always, always provide for our physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. He may tell us to wait a little bit and trust him for his perfect timing, but he will always come through. And all that while, he's transforming our lives, how we see everything, how we feel about everything, everything about every decision we make in life, everything about our families, everything about our marriages, everything about our broken relationships, everything about who we are. In short, God in all three persons of the Trinity becomes our everything. He is the beginning of our lives. He is the new spiritual beginning in those lives. And he is the end of these lives. It all starts and it all ends with him. The answer to the treasure of the meaning of life is really very simple. God himself is the treasure we've been searching for all our lives. The foundation for the meaning of our lives. The meaning of our lives is found in no one or nowhere else but God. We exist because he exists. Our life's meaning and purpose is him. Our connection and relationship to him gives us all the meaning, all the purpose, and all the mission for who we are. Jesus said that when we give our lives to God because of his sacrifice for us, we're given a new mission to tell others about how they can have this freedom, peace, salvation, and hope. God will be the one who transforms everything about our lives, and all the wisdom we need to know how to live this life to please him is found in his word. So we then live the rest of our lives with this new purpose, to love God and to please him out of that love, and to love others by sharing this hope and truth with him. Those are the two greatest commandments, Jesus said, right? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if everything and everyone is ever stripped completely away from our lives, we still have this meaning, purpose, and foundation. That doesn't change. Nothing ever changes that. And at the end of it all, we know we have heaven to look forward to. That breathes hope and meaning into everything we do have now. That breathes meaning and hope into our marriages, into our families, into our relationships, into our jobs, and what we spend our time on. Having God as our life's meaning and purpose is the foundation that everything else is then built upon. And believe me, that is the only and best foundation to build on. And you're going to start seeing changes in your life. You're going to start seeing changes in your marriage, in your family, in everything. Changes that give God the glory and you hope and peace. But it all starts somewhere. 
It all starts with that new birth, that new beginning, as John says in verse 12. It all starts with coming to that place in your life and to God in prayer. It all starts with that admittance to him that your sin separates you from him, that you need him, and you don't want to have anything to do with that life lived by sin anymore. It all starts with you telling him that you take Jesus as the substitute for paying your sin debt for both deaths and the salvation from that second death of hell. And it all starts with you making Jesus the king over the rest of your life, as it's always his to begin with, seeking to please him as he's always supposed to have been your life's purpose. And then the Holy Spirit starts to transform everything about you and your life for God's good and perfect plan. And you will never stop changing. He will never stop changing you until the day you die. Enjoy the blessings and the full rights of a restored relationship with God as your Heavenly Father, growing in your faith. We'd love to have you join our church family here at Fellowship Church as we continue this series on the Gospel of John every Sunday at 10 a.m. in the near future. But make sure you find a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, truth-teaching church to help you continue to grow in your new life's purpose. You don't have to go looking for or try to find the true meaning and purpose of life anymore. You can stop that search. God has always been extending it out to you through what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago and lives again to extend to you today. Take it for yourself today and finally experience what can only come from God, the hope, peace, love, and joy that life is fully about. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just these two verses, but everything that they reveal to us, the entire foundation for what the rest of our lives is then built upon. This is the true meaning of life. This is the true purpose of life. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today that has never prayed that prayer, never come to you, never come to that place where they uh, confess that, that their sin separates them from you, that they receive you as their Savior and their King, that they turn from that sinful life and, and give their, the rest of their lives to you. I pray that they would do that right now and then start experiencing that transformed life, that new life, that new birth, that new beginning. Lord, we thank you for this hope that you give to us in your word. We thank you for what you did for us on the cross. And that is the kids saying, you died to, give us, to, to free us from our sin. You, get, you died to save us from that. We just need to believe in you. We just need to take you for ourselves. And Lord, if there's anybody here who has done that, maybe even years ago, I pray that, but maybe that, that's been lost a little bit. I pray that they would come back to that. They would come back to you today. Renew that foundation. Renew that commitment to you. And, and start walking forward with that, with that refound foundation. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you've always been there for us. That you've never left us. Have never forsaken us. Have always been there. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me as we close out our